Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. I love having the kiddos in the service, and I also really like when I'm preaching and it's Sunday school time because I don't know if you've ever seen my kids. They sit there and they're unattended. And I've been here and I've scanned and I've seen my youngest all son on the floor and then I kind of and I see him back and he's even closer to the stage. So sometimes I kind of just end up avoiding looking over there so I don't see the chaos that's happening there. So I am so thankful that we have kids. I'm so thankful they're in the service. And for purely uh, uh, self-focused reasons, I'm really glad we have children's ministry today. (laughs) But yeah, when they're up here, hey, it's just, it's lovely. It's chaotic, it's it's beautiful, it's um, from their hearts as they're waving flags and, and sometimes playing swords and sometimes dancing. It's just an expression of worship that is spontaneous. And for a long time, I kind of, um, I viewed Palm Sunday like that too. Palm Sunday is uh, the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. He had kind of avoided it for a while because things were getting heated, but he, he came and he wasn't hiding this time. He wasn't sneaking in. It was a big um, celebration, a triumphal procession almost. And I had kind of always pictured it as kind of like spontaneous, people just kind of did whatever they wanted and and some of the actions uh, were just happening. But actually there's a lot of um, context that we find in in scripture, but also historical context that kind of gives us more uh, background to what all of the different things that were going on during this uh, entry, what they actually mean. So this, the, the account is in all four Gospels, but we're just going to read from Matthew. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was at the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Hosanna, praise God for the son of David. Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heavens. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowd replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So there's a couple of things that are happening here that I just previously had dismissed as, oh yeah, they're waving branches, they're spreading their garments, You know, we know the donkey is a prophecy because Matthew helpfully tells us what it means. But all of those 
uh, components are actually really significant. So the cult, we heard that prophecy is from Zechariah. But there's also another thing that the cult means. In 1 Kings 1.33, as uh, King David is kind of um, fading, I guess, going to die, um, he said that Solomon was going to be, his son was going to be king after him. And as part of his declaration, he said, okay, take Solomon, have him go on my mule and ride and declare him king. Riding on a mule, a donkey, was actually a sign of kingship. In Zechariah, we also know it was a sign of being humble and a servant. Then it says that people threw their garments on the road ahead. Did you ever wonder about that? I, I, don't, I just kind of glossed over it as one of those things people were really excited, threw their jackets off. But actually, the garments down was a sign of submission to a leader. In 2 Kings 9, 13, Jehu had been uh, anointed by one of Elisha's prophets, um, and he came back, and the people were saying, oh, what did, what did the prophet do? And Jehu was like, oh, nothing. And then they kind of pressed him. He's like, well, you know, he anointed me as king. And what the response of the people was is they took off their garments and laid them down in front of him as they announced that he had been anointed king. The garments down were a sign of submission to a leader. And then the palm branches. This one just says um, branches from trees, but in other uh, gospels, they talk about palm branches. And this comes from Leviticus 23, 39 to 40. In one of the festivals, it says, cut palm branches and wave them in celebration and joy before your Lord. So we have a sign of kingship happening. People acknowledging and submitting to Jesus as a leader. Celebrating with joy before their Lord. And then saying Hosanna. We sang that song, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means save us. Help us in our oppression. That's what the people were saying as Jesus came into Jerusalem. So all these things, yes, it was a spontaneous uh, celebration. And all of these things indicated that this was a kingly procession too. And that people were declaring the kingship of Jesus and submission to him. However, the kind of king he is and what he would do would be very different than the king they thought they were celebrating. You see, who they thought this type of Jesus type of king he'd be find some connection about 150 years previous. Judas Maccabee was a Jewish uh, leader who rose up against uh, Roman dynasty and overthrew them, actually, for a time. And so Jerusalem was free. The Jewish people were free and self-governed again. And in their victory, the Maccabees came in and palm branches were waved as they came in. And actually, Judas, Judas, Judas the Hammer, one of the leaders, he stamped coins, made coins that had palm branches, symbolizing victory over the oppressors. So as people were coming in, they were actually prophetically announcing the kingship of Jesus, but they were also 
some of them probably, were thinking back to 150 years ago when they were freed from the Romans. People would have thought that Jesus was coming to take the Romans to task, that this was going to be another beautiful time. The Messiah was here to kick the Romans out and we would be free again. But instead, Jesus actually took them to task. When you look at what happened after he entered Jerusalem, man, he has a lo- that's where some of his hardest teachings are. He took the people to task and he actually took himself to the cross. But these different scriptural components and historical background, all of these things would have been rumbling around in people's heads in this crowd, which would have been large. We don't know how large, but enough that it seemed like a legit procession. And I don't know about you guys, but often when I thought, especially when I was little, I thought of these crowds as like all the same, right? That everyone there loved Jesus, was for Jesus, and then a week later, somehow all the same people we're at, you know, his, his trial and, and his arrest. And then a week later, everyone just ditched him. Not true. There actually were a lot of different faces in the crowd that day with different perspectives. Just like today, as we're gathering together around Jesus, there's a lot of different faces in the crowd today. What face is yours in the crowd? First of all, the first face we see in the crowd is confused. Matthew 21.10 says, The whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. These faces are confused. They would be there saying, like, what's going on? What, why are all these people gathering? Oh, it's, it's this guy. What, what's so great about this guy? He's on a donkey. He doesn't even look that impressive. Why are people shouting, Hosanna? Why do you think this guy will, why, why do they think this guy will save them? What is happening? This face in the crowd today may look like, who is this Jesus? You don't really know him. Or what's going on? You might be wondering, why are all these people like about him? Why are people following him and praising him? Is he actually a savior? Is he worth all this? You're confused what to think about him. You just aren't sure about this Jesus character. This face is confused. Is this your face in the crowd? Another face in the crowd are seekers. We see this in John 12, 17 to 18. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. So they didn't really know this guy, but they had heard he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And I wonder if they thought, man, that's crazy. If it's true, 
I want to see this guy. If this is the guy that raised people from the dead, like, I, I need to see him. I, like, people are telling me about him, but I want to see him for myself. I heard he's coming to Jerusalem. They want to go out and see him for themselves. This face in the crowd today may look like you've heard about Jesus. Some of the things he's done in people's lives, dead places resurrection, resurrected, relationships healed, freedom from bondage, new purpose in life, but you've never experienced it for yourself. You've heard, but maybe you actually want to meet him yourself. It can also look like maybe your head gets all that knowledge. You understand who Jesus is, what he did on the cross, what he has for us, but you're not sure if your heart has actually met him, experienced him for who he is. This face is seeking, curious. Is this your face in the crowd? The third face we see in the crowd is pretenders. John 12, 37 says, despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. There would have been people in his triumphal entry. They would have been there, cheering, laying down their garments, joining the procession, and internally, they would have been disbelieving, doubting. Maybe they heard how he had allegedly raised Lazarus from the dead, or how he somehow fed 5,000 with just a few fish and loaves. But they don't think so. But they're still there, acting as if they do. This face in the crowd may look like you're acting the part doing all the right things on the outside, but internally you're doubting, unsure, you just don't know if you believe, which is actually okay to be in that place and be leaning into Jesus. But the problem is, is when your actions are saying something different than what's happening internally. You're pretending you're all on board with this Jesus thing as king and you submission to him, but you're actually not. There's places that just aren't don't believe. You're unsure, but acting as if you're sure. And there's a lot of reasons this could be happening. Could be fear, could be out of performance, faking it till you make it. If I just act like I believe Jesus, then, then some, at some point it will happen. But there's a discrepancy between what you actually believe and how you're acting. This face is pretending. Is this your face in the crowd? The fourth face in the crowd is the opposers. These would be the religious leaders, the Pharisees. We see it a couple of times. Luke 19, 38 to 39. In this procession, there are people that are shouting and and saying, blessing on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace on heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke them for saying things like that. And Jesus says, no. If they won't, the rocks will cry out. Then, in response, again, response to something Jesus did, Matthew twenty-two fifteen. 15. The Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. And then, 
after the news that Lazarus has been raised from the dead. This is the response of them. John eleven forty seven. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs, but if we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. So, as they're in this crowd watching all this happening, I'm going to guess that they were probably internally fuming. This man thinks he can forgive sins. Only God can do that. He's claiming to be God. (sighs) He doesn't hold the Sabbath as holy. Something God takes very seriously and has commanded us to keep holy. One of the prophets said we went into exile because we disregarded Sabbath. And he's healing and working on the Sabbath? No way. If he actually was the Messiah, why would he go against God's word? There's no way he can be this. They could have also been thinking, we keep the law. We've been the faithful ones. We're following God's statutes, encouraging others to do the same. How dare he be against us? He called us whitewashed tombs. Doesn't he know we're following God? And we know from that passage in John, they were worrying that if he keeps this up, the Romans are going to come in and crush us. They won't let us worship God anymore. Can't he see how dangerous this is? This face in the crowd today may look like Jesus coming and working in our lives has to look like a very specific thing. And that the way Jesus acts is set in your mind. And if it ends up looking differently, you end up going to calling people, well, they're false teachers. They're making this up. You pick apart and tear down, point out the way things can't be the way of Jesus. If they were actually following Jesus, then. If this actually was Jesus moving, then. Jesus wouldn't be moving like fill in the blank. If someone really was a Christian, then dot, dot, dot. Somewhere along the way, you've clung to sure things. You've clung to your idea of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Maybe to the point that you're clinging to religion. The rules and statutes out of fear of getting it wrong, fear of punishment, fear of being out of control, Sometimes we can cling so tightly to our beliefs about Jesus and what it, he has to look like that we might just end up missing Jesus and how he's moving. This face is set in opposition. Is this your face in the crowd? And then the last face is the scoffers the Roman soldiers. We don't see in any of the Gospels that they're there, but they would have been there. This was Jerusalem. This was Passover. This is the time when things can start getting uh, a little heated. So they would have been there. And they would have been alert for anything, 
any rabble-rousing. And something that's important to know that is that uh, the Roman Empire also had triumphal, entry, uh, triumphal processions in Rome, but it was on a four-horse chariot. The, the victor of the war or conquest would have come in a four-horse chariot, fancy clothes, leading their spoils and uh, slaves that they had taken from the people they had conquered, and they would have gone to the temple and, and offered sacrifices. It was an ultimate um, kind of self-praise of achievement. And so I would, I would hazard a guess that as they saw this triumphal entry, it maybe would have reminded them of their own. And they would have been cynical. <laughs> this is your hope? This is, this is your winner? Wow, this is pathetic. Like all the other times, they've seen a Messiah rise up. The Roman Empire would have crushed. Eh, you know what, this isn't even worth our time. We'll just stay here and wait this, wait this out. They probably would have been thinking, wow, a real victor would be celebrated after his victory. And in a big way, not like this sad, pathetic display. They think he can actually do something against us. This face in the crowd today may look like mocking what others say about Jesus and how he's moving or actions that are occurring. Responding to stories of healing and changed lives with skepticism Cynicism or mocking, either internally or externally. And as I prepared this sermon, this is where I find myself, that often I can go to skepticism and cynicism. When uh, the news about how Jesus was moving in, I always pronounce her Asbury? I want to say Ashbury, but it's Asbury, I think. I'll be honest, my first reaction was skepticism. Okay, probably just getting caught up in those emotions. I was scoffing. I've done it before when I've prayed for people and Jesus has moved. And internally, I think, they're just making this up. Like, what? Why is that my response? But sometimes we can get into a place, sometimes I can get into a place where I, I pick skepticism and cynicism and mocking. And that actually prevents me sometimes from seeing how Jesus is moving. Aligning myself with him and being a part of it because I'm standing on the side saying, <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't want to miss Jesus. I want to be wise and have discernment about things, but that's different than skepticism Mocking and cynicism. This face in the crowd is skeptical. Is this your face in the crowd? And then the last face that would have been in the crowd was the committed until. These would have been the disciples. They, they would have been a part of the whole thing, right? They got the donkey. They would have been a part of the start and finish of the procession. They would have been with Jesus since the beginning. He's the Messiah. He's going to bring freedom, and I'm a part of it. 
It's finally happening. No more skulking around. No more staying on the fringes. This is it. We are getting into Jerusalem and stuff is going down. It's finally happening. The kingship and leadership of Jesus, it's going down exactly how we thought it would. But I wonder if as they're walking there cheering everything, they're excited. But then I wonder if they remember that just before they entered Jerusalem, Jesus was talking about being betrayed and killed. I wonder if that flickered in their mind of like, wait a minute, what was that all about? And a sliver of uncertainty snakes through them. Also, as they're walking alongside Jesus, as they get closer and closer to Jerusalem in the temple, they notice Jesus weeping. What's that about? This isn't how they thought his big moment would go. Why is he crying? This is, like, exciting. This is the time. And Jesus is weeping? I wonder if a little more uncertainty grew. And the thought crossed their mind Maybe this isn't going to happen the way I thought it would. The disciples are committed to Jesus for the next week. This face in the crowd today looks like you're committed to Jesus, but you have some wondering if he's going to do what you think he should do. Or maybe you're disappointed in Jesus, actually, because you had a really specific idea of what him moving would look like in your life and he didn't do it that way. That person wasn't healed. That person died. That relationship still isn't restored. Your addiction and struggle is still going strong. How you thought following Jesus would go isn't how it's going. And how he should act, you feel he just isn't. You're committed to Jesus, and you're disappointed and uncertain. This face is committed, but lined with uncertainty and disappointment. Is this your face in the crowd? So, where do you find yourself in the crowd? Confused, seeking, opposing, pretending, scoffing, committed until, as I went through these, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's the one. Or maybe there was a few. Maybe you just recognize there's a couple of different places in your soul that you're confused, but then you're also disappointed, and you've actually been responding out of, out of skepticism and cynicism. And I have no doubt that Jesus saw all those faces in the crowd as he walked. And he sees all of our faces in the crowd today. And his response is the same. Compassion, love, grace. And he longs to meet you in those places and bring restoration, healing, freedom, and salvation. He longs to bring all of himself to you. You Come on up. Here's the thing, though. Jesus can't meet us with his love, presence, and power in the places that we won't acknowledge and offer to him. 
So we're going to move into a response time. And this is no, no shame, no condemnation, but rather just a, an acknowledgement and confessing. This is where I'm at, Jesus. Hosanna, save us. And so I'm going to go through each of the faces and invite people to stand if they want to acknowledge that they identify with that face and invite Jesus to come. We're going to stay standing, and after all the faces, I'll pray, and then we'll go right into a song. So here's the thing, the disclaimer. I didn't want to do this part, actually. All week, I was like, well, you know what? We could just, like, our own little quiet times. No one has to acknowledge anything. I just actually didn't want to do it. Because it felt too big of a step, too big of a risk for, to ask people to take. And it requires a high level of courage and vulnerability. But I couldn't get away from it. And so, in me asking you to stand, this is actually a high level of courage and vulnerability for me too, because I recognize the cost, I recognize the uncomfortableness, and I recognize how the enemy can come with shame, performance, judgment, and accusation. And so we say no to any of that in the name of Jesus. All this is, is standing before Jesus and acknowledging, man, this is my face. Come and meet me. So first of all, we have the confused, so if I'll read it and then I'll just ask you to stand. We have the confused and seeking. You're not too sure about Jesus. You've heard about him, but you haven't really experienced him. You maybe have some confusion about who he actually is. You want to meet him and experience all of him, not just hear about him. If you identify with, any, with confused or seeking, please stand now. Then we have the pretenders, opposers, and scoffers. You have some disbelief, but you've been acting like you're all in, out of fear of performance. Or maybe somewhere along the way you've recognized you've clung to religion bit and not Jesus. Or maybe you realize that somewhere along the way your default to Jesus moving and others' experience is skepticism and cynicism. So if you recognize that somewhere in your soul that you've been a pretender, opposer, or scoffer, please stand. This is where I'd be standing now. Then we have the last group. Committed until. You've committed to Jesus, but you have disappointment about how things have gone down. Or you have uncertainty because the way things are shaping up, the way you thought it would go in your life when you said yes to Jesus, it's not looking like that right now. And you have some disappointment. If that's you, please stand. Let's pray. Jesus, we see you working. We see you coming, and we acknowledge that we are responding to you in a myriad of ways. We're coming humbly and honestly before you now, and just being plain about where, we're right, where we are. We're confused about who you are, or we're seeking more of you. 
We're struggling with disbelief and out of fear, we've ended up actually being hypocritical in this. We've been caught up in religion often to calm our fears. And we've acted in skepticism and cynicism when we hear about the ways you've been moving. Or Jesus, we're just disappointed. Because how we thought this would all go when we said yes to you, either for the first time or said yes to you in the invitation of what you were calling us to do, it hasn't gone that way. And we're just disappointed. Right now, we just acknowledge all of these things. Would you come to these places and meet us with your love, presence, and power? Hosanna, save us. In your powerful name, Jesus, amen. So today, church, as we have stepped into places of vulnerability and courage and um, maybe scary places that we haven't acknowledged before, I bless you right now in the name of Jesus to experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus in those places. That as you leave, that the voice you would hear the strongest would be Jesus speaking to you in those places, meeting you where you've cried out that you're seeking, bringing softness to the places that you've recognized you're opposed, bringing faith and belief to the places that you've been skeptic and a cynic, and bringing comfort to those places of disappointment. Jesus isn't angry. He isn't upset with you. He's not wondering why it took you so long. He is so delighted and full of love and compassion. And so I bless you with that, that you would know the love of the Father, the friendship of Jesus, and the comfort and power of the Holy Spirit as you go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.